I'm very excited for today, to be honest. Partially so that I can learn, um, <laughs> but also just explore something that, you know, I've, I can honestly say over the past two months, I've watched more of this thing than I have ever in my entire life mm-hmm. consistently. Wow. So it'll be exciting to talk about it today. So I guess, first of all, because you just referred to it as the thing, we need exactly. to talk about the nomenclature. Yeah, and that's why I just was like, I am not going to yes. open that can of worms right now. And I'm going to re- refrain from speaking the name of the thing. <laughs> Keep that a secret. Exactly, right? So what I've realized, Chris, um, specifically, I will address this to you, Mm. is, you know, as we go through these conversations, I've realized that no one in the entire world wants to hear someone with my register speak about the Champions League. So we have brought in our resident, our almost literal resident uh, (laughs) Englishman to discuss the this week's European Championship finals. Welcome, Luke, to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, I hope I, I can give some uh, good knowledge and good insights into the, the Champions League and Europa League a little bit. Let's be honest, we're mostly here to talk about menu. Yeah, I can definitely do that. How much does it hurt? Uh, I'm going to make myself really popular right off the bat. How much does it hurt or does it hurt at all for you as a Manu fan to talk about the Europa League final? which uh, Manu is in, but also to talk about the Champions League final in which, you know, one of the big rivals, Man City, is in. Does that affect your mood at all? Uh, I mean, I had a few weeks to come to terms with it. I, I definitely, yeah, over the past 10 years, the, the Europa League is where we've spent most of our time, probably well, definitely not where we want to be. Um, and yeah, having Man City in the Champions League final is a bit of a painful one considering as well if they win it they, they technically win a treble as well which is mm. like man united's go-to biggest achievement so <laughs> let's go chelsea <laughs> wow <laughs> so how did you come to love this this beautiful game that's a, it's a good question and i think a, a lot of my friends it would be that that, that love has come from their, their father probably but for me that love has come from from my mother. My mum always watched football, loves football, still to this day watches most Man United games. And I don't know, we, we, there's no tie in my family to Manchester, except when I was born, my, my mum supported Man United. So that's who I ended up supporting. And that, yeah, there's rarely games that I miss if, if I can help it. Um, I, I, as Rashad will know, I probably watch more football than is, is humanly possible. But... <laughs> Like you say, it's the beautiful game and I don't know, I never feel like I want to miss anything because anything could happen. Mm. And Rashad, you you mentioned it briefly, but uh, how what has your relationship with football been? I mean, obviously you have been exposed to it quite a lot in the last few months, but uh, what has been you know your experience with it before? Well, I mean, even before these few months, I will say that I have... Definitely a history with the sport, and that history can be quite emotional to a certain extent, and um, especially as a child. So I had never really followed uh, club soccer internationally. It wasn't something that ever appealed to me. Uh, I think it was partially as a kid growing up, it was hard to identify with any of the teams in particular. Um, the tele- It wasn't on the television much, uh, and it just wasn't something that I... Kind of gravitated towards but on the other hand i really gravitated towards international soccer just because it was always every every four years it was on the television mm. so whether that be the world cup or the euros it was definitely that was the manifestation of my fandom in that way and it was very very interesting so i remember i was at my uncle's house and we were all gathered for the 2006 world cup final and i remember after just sitting in the room 
having co-opted half of the family to root for France against the other half of the family who to root for Italy or who were rooting for Italy, just being so emotionally invested in a singular game that it was, you know, I think, I don't know, how old was I at the time? 12, 13. You're at that age, sort of that perfect age where sports is everything in your life. And it is just the mat, like all the pent up emotions that you have just rise to the surface and boil up in specific moments as you are screaming your head off as somebody misses a penalty in, mm. in the World Cup final. Or gets a red card. Or gets a red. I was not going to even go there. <laughs> one of the most tragic moments in the last 20 years in this sport. Maybe one of the most tragic, but you could also argue one of the most boss ways to go out. Yeah. <laughs> not, not that I'm uh, suggesting people should go around headbutting others, but you know, if you're going to go out one way, at least make it memorable. Yeah, yeah, but nevertheless, we all know how that uh, script was written, and it was uh, I was brought with some vindication later on in life, but sadly not when I was in person. So I, I don't know if I had told you, but I was in France for the World Cup final. So those are for the Euro final. Wow. Um, I was actually in watching the in the stadium. I was watching oh, the wow. game live. So I was watching the whole game. And as you know, like Ronaldo got injured a couple minutes into the game or whatever. And, you know, you're so confident you're about to win. You're at home. This is destiny. 98 was one in France. So therefore, this has to be one in Paris. And the game is I think it was nil nil the entire game into extra time. And I was this is where it gets a little TMI. I had to go to the bathroom so badly, so, so, so badly. I was just holding it, holding it, holding it as much as I possibly could. And at, at the at the moment where I couldn't bear it any longer, I was like, all right, it's okay. I can just go. So I go to the bathroom oh, and I'm no. like, I walk into the toilet oh. and as I'm going to the bathroom, I hear screams <laughs> and the whole stadium is rocking. And I was for a split second not for a split second for more than a split second i was so excited because i thought france has scored mm. <laughs> and i run out of the bathroom running down the corridor and i reach the stadium and i see the scoreboard and my heart just dropped <laughs> <laughs> never had i ever just been through such a w- weird like swing of emotions Oof. knowing so that something happened but not knowing what happened mm. and yeah so i, I f- fair to say that um it hasn't been a long relationship or a deeply entrenched relationship but it's certainly emotional has and it has emotional roller coasters i would say wow i must say to to add to that as well rashad and i'm sorry to rub salt into your wound but <laughs> i i watched that final probably more siding with with portugal just because of, of ronaldo's ties to man united although I, I do love the french national team as well they've had amazing players over the years um but I was going to Portugal on holiday the, the following day. So obviously Portugal winning that and then arriving in Portugal. And like you say, the emotion, you could just feel the, the buzzing atmosphere around the whole of Portugal. Parties on the streets for like the whole week I was there. <laughs> uh, everyone absolutely loving their life. Just because of li- literally, if on paper, it's just one goal in a football match. <laughs> but for, yeah, in football, it is much more than that. Yeah, yeah, and what what good timing you had going to Portugal the next day. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad it was uh, Portugal and not not France at the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I feel like it says a lot about my teenage years if I tell you how I got into football, which was quite late. I mean, around the same time, it was 2004. Um just before the 2004 season started uh, and it was i mean i grew up in a in a environment that was very much you know into football but i just never clicked with it as a child um i mean i would i would sometimes you know watch or like i would see them on t- the matches on tv or, or anything but i didn't really care and then uh, uh i watched like some anime about a football team <laughs> And uh, also played a PC game that was like a football manager type game. Great game. That's how I got into it. And then uh, it was after the European Championship of 2004. But, you know, obviously with the World Cup, you know, two years later, that was a pretty good timing. And what a, like, that was a really intense experience. So that, that's how I started out. And I had a, I had a, uh, 
really intense couple of years, probably very close to what your experiences look like just watching a lot of games, um, you know, mostly following, uh, you know, the top four leagues at the time, Italy, Spain, uh, England and Germany, uh, the Premier League and the Bundesliga specifically. And uh, yeah, I just, I loved it. I watched, I probably spent like 12 to 14 hours per week watching football. So nice. That's a good amount of time. And uh, just just thinking about with the, the time you started watching, so you said 2004. And I mean, as you've inv kindly invited me onto the podcast, I thought I I'd best try and bring some facts with me. Um, and the actual the Champions League final, which has obviously been moved to, to Porto, which we're, I'm sure we'll get on to, that stadium was specifically built for the 2004 Euros, mm -hmm. which I believe Greece won, didn't they? Which was yeah. a crazy tournament. <laughs> Like, what happened to propel Greece to win that? Just, I mean, no judgment. I <laughs> a lot of luck. Let's put it that way. Uh, yeah, as someone who's been listening to your podcast, one might say uh, the dark horse came through. <laughs> <laughs> Not even the dark horse. I feel like they weren't even like, they were just like, of course, they're going to get like kicked out of it like really soon. Like nobody, I feel like nobody expected it. They were like the mating horse that lives in the stables. That yeah. didn't actually make it onto the track. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I, I, don't, I have like a memory that when, when I was watching that tournament with my mum, I don't think it was the final because I, I, I'd like to think my mum would have let me stay up for the final even though I was young. Um, but it was Greece versus somebody. It might have been the quarterfinal or semifinal. And before I went to bed, I said, mum, I bet you one pound that, that Greece win. And she's like, well, I wouldn't normally bet, but if you want to bet a pound of your pocket money, then all right, we'll, we'll have the bet. And I can't remember who they were playing, but the odds were definitely in her favor, but I got a pound for the, uh, the old sweet shop the next day. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. And that started a long history of sports betting, right? Uh, I, I had like periods of, of doing it, but I, I think in the long run, when you look at, look at sports betting, it, it's not probably not, I don't know. I wouldn't recommend it, but I definitely enjoyed doing little side bets with friends and stuff, um, like fantasy leagues with a bit of money in or, or just little like last man standing competitions. Um, I think those bits, are, they're definitely more fun because they're more, more social. Uh, I think if, you, if you're just betting, you can get very carried away with it. it. One of the things that's actually surprised me when I moved to Europe for the first time was how, how common sports betting is, because it's something that is is illegal in the United States or has been illegal for so long and just recently has become um, possible in a lot of country, in a lot of parts of the country. So it really shocked me to a certain extent to start and how casual it is and how easy it is to bet. Is it that widespread? I thought that was a specifically UK thing. Yeah, my, I mean, living in the UK most of my life and most of the people I know do bet and it's so accessible um and it, it, you get all these adverts in between at half time of football games and it's like betting is bad and it's like well, yeah but if it's that bad you you still wouldn't have your company up and running um yeah i think even in, even in germany you have the sports betting shops maybe they're not sports betting shops i just assume they are the way they look there are a few yeah and that's something that i never grew up seeing for example because mm. for us if you wanted us bet sports growing up you'd have to fly to vegas and that's no. not something that's pretty accessible to most of us wow um but now it's actually a big trend in north american sports that that are they are moving towards sports betting as it legalizes and sort of actually getting it on the ground floor and it's a new source of revenue for these uh, leagues so it is a big industry that is about to boom and is actually well one can say it's already starting to boom but we're not here to talk about that so sorry for that derailment no no so yeah i was gonna say i should have flown to vegas and put my pound on greece so yeah <laughs> you definitely would have gotten better odds <laughs> yes definitely i'm offered evens by my mom yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually your mom pretty much ripped you off but yeah she definitely that. did i should have uh i might go back to her now yeah. however many years later <laughs> say i think you owe me actually at least 20 more pound for that bet yeah <laughs> so do you do you want to get into uh the europa or the champions league final first let's start with europa um and let's then transition i guess cool. uh later to champions league if that's all right mm -hmm. 
Um, so in, in no, if case someone is in case someone who's listening is not a rare aware, would either of you care to explain what Europa is? I mean, I can give it a go if you'd like. Yes, yeah, Europa League is the second tier of European UEFA competition. It's run for less years than the equivalent of the Champions League, which the Champions League obviously we'll get on to, but it's the 66th final. I can't remember how many finals there's been since it was rebranded. It was the European Cup before. But the Europa League is obviously on its, its 50th final this time, like 11th since being rebranded. And the idea of the Europa League is, I guess, to those teams that can't qualify for the Champions League or, or can't compete in the Champions League have an opportunity to, to be in a competitive European competition and, and compete against whoever. And I, I think as like the Spanish League, the, the Premier League, the Bundesliga, they, they all grow. Obviously, these like historically bigger teams are, are going into those competitions. And yes, it means that you, your, your smaller sides from other countries probably aren't going to win them, but it definitely makes it more exciting for those, those countries and those those leagues because they have the opportunity of potentially playing your, your, your Man United, your, your Arsenal's and who, whoever may actually end up in that competition. Yeah, and I, ju I just learned, I didn't know that because I haven't been following football that closely in the past few years, but I just heard that there's going to be a third tier <laughs> coming yeah. next season, which is just such a money, such an obvious money grab. Yeah, it's the U UA Europa Conference League. And uh, as it stands, uh, you might have teams like Tottenham in there competing against third place in, in the Finnish League. And I, and I think they're called Hops, but I, I, I couldn't tell you anything more about the team and I, i'm sorry if there's any finishly listeners and i've offended your third best team in your country <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure they'll forgive you okay yeah. <laughs> we have good listeners so um uh so you, obviously united is in in the final against uh Villarreal from spain uh probably i would say uh surprisingly defeated arsenal in the semi-final whereas united pretty clearly knocked out Roma so as as the as the resident United fan maybe you want to give give us your take on on the final yeah well I, I think I can't actually remember too much of the beginning of the tournament obviously Arsenal qualified for Europa League and didn't qualify for the Champions League last season whereas Man United qualified for the Champions League and they were playing in the Champions League from September and Actually, we, we beat PSG, which was a great result. We beat uh, Leipzig, which was a great result again. And then pretty much because we lost to the, the lowest seeded team in our group, uh, Istanbul, um, and then didn't manage to get a point from, from Leipzig or PSG again, we ended up, I guess, demoted, you, you could put it, uh, to the Europa League. So obviously straight into the knockout stages from finishing third in our group. Which was a bit of a shame, obviously, as you've started in the Champions League. That's how you wish you'd rather go into the, the last 16 of the Champions League and get knocked out there, I guess. Or, or maybe you wouldn't. Maybe some fans would say they'd rather get demoted and actually potentially win a trophy. But yeah, the, those semi-finals, I think the, the Arsenal one, I have a lot of friends who are Arsenal fans. And I don't know, I, I had teased them before the semi-final that they were going to lose. On, on paper, they probably should win. But Unai Emery is obviously their ex-manager, the, the Villarreal manager. And I, I just saw he would be out to seek revenge, although I'd, I'm not sure how much one man can actually plot revenge on, on a team without his 11 men on the field do, doing their jobs, which they obviously did well because they're in the final. For Man United, it was obviously last year we were in the Europa League as well and we got knocked out in the semi-final. Although we got knocked out by the eventual winners of the tournament, which is always a good thing, I think. You'd rather be knocked out by the winners than a team that would go on to lose 5-0 or something. So, yeah, I think this year we really had a, a point to prove to just get to that final. And now we're in it. We Realistically, the, the second-place team in the Premier League should be winning that. But I definitely I think it means more to Villarreal because if they win the Europa League, they actually qualify for the Champions League next year. Whereas Man United, if they win the Europa League, they just win the Europa League. And it doesn't have too much extra benefits, especially as the Champions League final will come four days later. And I don't think Man United are going to be running around celebrating one thing when potentially their, their neighbours could win the, the biggest European competition. Yeah. Have you, have you followed the 
the Europa League at all, Rashad, this season? I mean, uh, alongside Luke, I have. Yes. <laughs> um, so I've watched plenty of Man U games um, through Europa and also in the Premier League. And I think I have a pretty good record while watching Man U. Yeah, it's definitely like in the like above 70%, I'd say. You're, you're the lucky charm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna jinx that, but your influence might be bigger than Bruno Fernandez's. <laughs> <laughs> definitely bigger than Fred. Yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but I and I'm worried now because I'm flying uh, to the United States tomorrow. All so right. we'll see how that goes with the game on Wednesday. I mean, if United loses, then you're not gonna be allowed back in the country. That's what's gonna happen. Well, I'm confident even though I shouldn't have no reason to be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no disrespect to VRL, but I don't see how how United's going to lose this. Yeah, I, I think the it's obviously the legs previously are, are two legs, which, which sort of changes the, I don't know, the tie. The only thing for Man United is uh, without Harry Maguire, which he gets a lot of stick. But if you look at our statistics with and without him and just his influence he he is a, a our best center back and without him we've looked a bit of a joke in the last few weeks hopefully we don't go into the <laughs> final looking a joke and yeah I, I think Villarreal's game as we saw against Arsenal if, if we watch those if you watch those games is they are not an out and out attacking team they will just try and soak up the pressure and, and get one one counter-attack I would say lucky counter-attack but I think that would be unfair because I've seen Man United play that style many a times and I, I wouldn't want someone to call it a lucky counter-attack if it was a, for my team, even though it probably is a lucky counter-attack. So yeah, I ho hopefully Man United win. That's obviously what I'm hoping. But, but like I said, if if we didn't win it, it's I, I, like we should win it and we'll be a bit of a laughing stock in, in and around England if we don't. But it's not the Champions League, you know? And that's, I think, what Man United, the, the club, the fans one is us competing at that top level and not at this the second tier level yeah i mean but uh you know even if your most important center back is uh is out you just need to because it is not a two-leg knockout stage it is just one game you just have to score one goal goal more than the other team and yeah. you know looking at the offensive it's looking pretty good for United. Yeah, well, I, I will say uh, this is another another fact I'll bring to the table. Man United and Villarreal, how Villarreal have met, I think it's four times uh, previous to this final, and every single game has ended nil nil. <laughs> so oh. <laughs> we are we are in for one of the most exciting um, ties. Their their build up is going to be very riveting they're gonna have so many highlights of man united villarreal games i mean a nil nil can be very exciting well then we we might get we get extra time and potentially penalties which as a neutral is is horrendous but um i think as an english person penalties are just horrendous we have such a <laughs> a bad time watching penalties but that's that's more on the uh on the like international stage and not on in terms of like the clubs right of course, but I think us English fans have we've developed some post-traumatic stress disorder towards penalties. <laughs> that that penalty shootout against Colombia, the the 2018 World Cup, was. I, I don't know if my heart could have taken another three penalties. Um, <laughs> it was horrible to watch, <laughs> but amazing to win, I guess. Mm. Yeah, so I think we three are all pretty much agreed that United should win this, right? Yeah, I've put myself on record that I think so. But before, I'm so sorry, I meant to mention this earlier and as a topic to discuss before we talked about Europa even. I think we have to talk about the huge elephant in the room in European soccer, and that's the Super League. It's just so interesting. I'm just like, I have no idea what to say, really. <laughs> no, you were... I don't know. I'd say when it comes to to football, you definitely... Are more informed on like the the business side of it, so than I am. Um, oh, that kind of stuff. I definitely have like I don't know more. Maybe yeah, probably knowledge of teams and players and past results potentially. But when it comes to like the intricacies, you're definitely much more well informed than than I am. I, I'd say. I wonder if that's a factor potentially. Uh, I don't know if I agree with that. A, but B. Um, I wonder if it's a factor of 
just learning of it all at the same time as an adult, right? Because you're soaking in both aspects. Because when you're a kid, you're really you know absorbing the players, and you don't really focus on the business side of sports. I feel as a child, but yeah. when you like end up becoming an adult, when you're entering it as an adult, and your interest is also on the the business side of the sport as well, potentially that uh, informs how you then consume the medium. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say so. Like obviously, as children at at school in in the UK. Obviously, the main sport you play at lunchtimes and stuff is is football, and you definitely you score a goal and you run off and be like, ah, David Beckham, ah, David Beckham. <laughs> but you wouldn't sit and sell your last sweet to your friend and be like, ah, Malcolm Glazer, ah, Malcolm Glazer. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I think definitely the I don't know children idolize these these players and don't really think about the, the intricacies of the business. And well, you say that, but like. Cue to me at 11 years old in primary school, um, running like a side business out of the school, selling movie <laughs> merchandise to um, all my classmates and then getting in serious trouble because of it. Wow, you've <laughs> just always been hustling. I mean, I wasn't on that scale, I, didn't, I wouldn't say, but my, my cousin, uh, who was always a year above me at school and we were always at the same school, he... He would sell chocolate bars and, and sweets that he'd buy on the way to school with like pocket money and, and make profit and then do it the next day. And that, yeah, that was sort of filtered down to me trying to do the same, even though I knew, again, he got in trouble for doing it. Um, and then, yeah, I did it for a bit. And yeah, I mean, when you're a child, it seems like a lot of money. He probably made like 20 pound profit in total. But yeah, got, also got in trouble and got told I couldn't be selling Kit Kat chunkies around school. <laughs> Oh yeah, Kit Kat Chunky. Oh shit, I <laughs> I remember those. You buy a pack of four for a pound, and then you'd sell each one for fifty p. It's yeah, sure. simple business. I should be getting praised for such things, not not knocked down. I used to be a huge admirer of Klopp's, and secretly yeah. I still am, but I can't tell that to man, yeah. too many Man United fans. <laughs> no. um, it's not like we're recording this. No, no, it's not like anyone might hear this. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, when it was Lewandowski, Royce, Blasikovsky, uh, yeah. I, I may have oh, butchered yeah. that name. Um, I don't know. That was a Shinji Kagawa. That was an amazing team and pretty good few years. Yeah, but so. yeah, I mean, Klopp won't be in Liverpool for that much longer. It's like the that's what he all that what always happens to him he has like one or two years where he's building up something then he has three years of success and then he is like he has like two or three years of slow decline until he's eventually sacked yeah well i mean if it's effective and it's it's better than um, maybe i won't name the manager although i'm sure he won't <laughs> be listening um it's better than just having three years which in the middle year you potentially have a little bit of success and then in the third year you fall out with every single player in the team and end up losing your job but making a lot of money we can say his name we can say Mourinho's name we're not afraid on this podcast (laughs) Jose show yourself where are you (laughs) I mean if you have to be afraid of one manager it must be Mourinho you know he's like total psycho you just don't know how he's going to react. He might exactly. be like, "Yeah, you're you're actually correct," but he might, yeah, you don't know. <laughs> yeah, he, he he might of all the of all the managers, he might be personally offended and track you down. You know? <laughs> That's fine. Come at me, Mourinho. <laughs> oh yeah, that guy. Speaking of uh, disasters. <laughs> Nice that was a great transition, right? Yeah. <laughs> a few of the clubs across Europe decided to try and, you know, enact a genius idea of starting a European-wide league of their own called the Super League. And, you know, as they, they correctly predicted, that fans would love it. Hmm. And I think, you know, I'm excited to see it happen next year. Aren't you, Luke? Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this, this Super League. Um, <laughs> It, it, it is a shame they didn't officially get the name of the Super League across and it will still be called the uh, Champions League, Europa League and <laughs> Europa Conference. <laughs> um, but yeah, these these owners, uh, I think, yeah, well, it would have been a disaster to football if it had gone ahead. All, all jokes aside, it, it's a very good thing, I think, for fans and players that it hasn't gone ahead. Obviously, if you're an owner, it would have been brilliant if it went ahead, considering the money that had been fronted. But I don't, yeah. That's why it's the beautiful game, because that's 
not what it's meant to be about, regardless of how much money can be made in it, I guess. Should we explain a little bit of the details of what it was, I guess? Yeah, I think so. And I think we were just speaking about your your knowledge on the business side. So I don't know if you or Chris <laughs> wants to, <laughs> to tackle that one. Thanks, you know, thanks, that thanks. one on you. I mean, I, I can give it a go if you want. Um, so essentially, oh God, this is going to be, this is going to be so shy. I'm very nervous right now. I think I'm starting to sweat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so essentially correct me if I get names wrong, because I will get names wrong. Essentially, as I understand it, uh, Real Madrid led Real Madrid and a couple other clubs decided to lead an effort across the top leagues, top clubs in European leagues to create a breakaway group to be played alongside the domestic leagues instead or in lieu of the Champions League. They, the teams were Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, Juve, um, one of the Milans, maybe? I think both of them. I think both, both of the, the Milans. Milans, yeah. Both of the Milans and the big six in, or the big six in the UK or in England, sorry. Yeah. And they decided to create a league that has essentially no relegation, limited promotion abilities for some teams who can potentially qualify, and essentially consolidating revenue uh, uh, funneled through television rights through uh, these specific clubs who have more power. And one of their largest complaints were that they, as the biggest clubs in Europe, do not get their fair share of revenue for all the you know, viewership across the world um, for the Champions League. And in order to try and make themselves more money and to, what, from their perspective, get their, quote, fair share, um, they decided to create a league in which they will kind of hold all the cards. Uh, and, you know, I feel like they just, compl- one of the things that they did, obviously, was completely misunderstand the fan reaction. You know, people, they, they assumed that people would love to see Man U versus Real Madrid 10 times a year. But <laughs> I think that you know, led by an outcry of, of the traditional media outlets and also social media that just the unified sports fandom across the globe against the Super League or against these particular individuals behind this idea, really. And I feel like I was really more in tune potentially with the, the response in England just physically being here. Um, and there there's this i guess you can speak to it more luke but the sacred idea of the football pyramid in england in which one can rise theoretically through the ranks and make it to the premier league and make it to be premier league champions after having been after having been in a lower league for you know decades and that promotion and relegation system that creates accountability for teams that lose and creates a reward for those who do get promoted is just sort of a sacred idea that was is fundamental to the sport and then this super league idea sort of upends that entire concept and that's uh dare i say ideology yeah i I definitely agree and i think obviously it it would have looked much more like a north american model of of the sport and not i i I personally don't have anything against the, the north american model obviously i don't really stay in touch with the the mls but I think to have a model like that, that's how it has to be from the start. You can't just change from a pyramid where everyone has equal opportunity and everyone can potentially achieve everything um, to going to this close shop. And although Florentina Perez, who was the the mastermind behind the, well, I I shouldn't really say mastermind because it was a failed plan. (laughs) Um, But yeah, he, he was saying, oh, it's not a closed shop. But realistically, only I think it was like two other teams that weren't in the twelve named or that the fifteen they wanted could actually join it. And yeah, it was just a restricted league, I guess. I think one of the biggest blows potentially, it was basically, I in my opinion, doomed from the start when they weren't able to get Bayern and PSG, and potentially I they also wanted Dortmund, right? Yeah, and I think that. You know, obviously there are many things that doomed it, but if you're not able to get some of those top teams to get to buy in, really, it's essentially impossible to go about your vision and create a quote European championship along the Champions League if it doesn't have the the finalists from last year's Champions League. Yeah, but also I feel like 
uh, in the beginning you said, you know, it's the top clubs, but that is more from a, it's not really fair either because Arsenal hasn't really been a top club in the last few years. Uh, historically speaking, absolutely, but not in the last few years. Dortmund hasn't been that great either. Um, and in Spain as well, like historically speaking, Atletico doesn't really have that much, although they just, you know, won the championship. But, you know, there is a, it's a little arbitrary at, in some respects. I think uh, to, to address as well, uh, I know we've already used this term, but the, the elephant in the room, yes, Arsenal at the moment aren't the biggest, but the, the big one that was cried out about was how have Tottenham Hotspur managed to to put themselves in yeah. the so-called big six when they have never won the Premier League, they have never won the Champions League, the Europa League, they haven't won a trophy for 15 years. They, they, they're not there on merit. They're just there on, on financial possibilities when, I don't know, I would consider Leicester. And if I had to pick a big six, Leicester would be in my big six and it would probably be... It would probably I would still have Arsenal in there regardless of their form this season, but I would definitely not have Tottenham in there. And I feel like Leicester is the prime example of what you just referred to earlier, Luke. Is you know an example of a club that was able to rise through the ranks and just establish itself as you know in in the top six. Yeah, exactly, and that's not only that. I think me and Rashad spoke about this the other day. Ten years ago, they got a new owner who I must say is probably one of the greatest owners in the Premier League, maybe British football, is connected with the fans, the team. And yet 10 years ago, they just got promoted back to the championship from League One. They then missed out on the playoff final in one of the, if, if you've never seen it, uh, just search on YouTube, Watford versus Leicester playoff highlights. And it is, I don't know, it's everything the game is about. It's last minute of the game, Leicester have a penalty. If they score, they go through. To the final, the penalty gets saved and the ball goes straight up the other end and Watford score and put themselves through. And I don't know, it's just wild. It's almost, as much as a Man United fan, the Aguero moment is, it's almost that good. And the Aguero <laughs> moment is, <laughs> at the time, is the most deflating moment in, in <laughs> footballing <laughs> life. Like I've watched Champions League finals where Lionel Messi has absolutely torn us apart, but you know, you sort of expect that. You you don't expect a goal on the last day of the season to lose you the, well, in the last day of the season, the last minute of the game to lose you the league on goal difference. Yeah, it's a painful one to take. But anyway, sorry, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm here now just hanging my head. I need to pick myself back. <laughs> I mean, if ju just think back to 99, right? Like yeah, exactly. exactly. About last, last second goals or last minute goals, that'll always like brighten your mood. <laughs> By old Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Yeah. Uh, uh, knight in shining armor, I guess, at the moment, anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the next season, Leicester actually managed to secure, secure promotion. They then, I can't remember if they were then safe the next season or if it was that season. They escaped relegation. Like they were bottom of the league, I think, at Christmas almost. And they escaped relegation. relegation. They then file, fired Nigel Pearson, who was the manager at the time, which everyone was like, this is a joke. He's just saved you. They appointed Claudio Ranieri, who he then became the bookmaker's favourite to be sacked first out of all the managers. And they then won the league. And to be fair, not only that, they have stuck around since. They haven't dropped off. And yeah, like if they can do it, anyone can do it. And why would you want to take that away from the game? I, ju I just wanted to mention something. Um, you very beautifully said you know that there's this equal opportunity for everyone but i did want to address that of course uh you know historically speaking you know some of the clubs obviously have amassed large amounts of wealth and the uh premier league specifically i don't think there is a any team without a owner an owner you, most of them give quite a lot of money to to the clubs um so you know like in term and of course you have uh, you know clubs like PSG or uh, even Leipzig who are who get a lot of money from let's say investors and so I, I feel like you know it didn't surprise me that there was this this idea of the Super League um, to you know make even more money that is kind of the logical conclusion of trends within the sport 
I feel like, but uh, you know, nonetheless, I was happy to see it fail so miserably and so quickly <laughs> as well. Yeah, well, and as Rashad has said, like some of the driving forces of it, it failing and other teams that had signed up pulling out is, if you'd have said to me uh, 10 or so years ago, maybe sooner than that, eight years ago, seven years ago, PSG will save football, I would have <laughs> laughed my head off. And I've been like, if that happens, I'll stop watching the game. I will stop it. Because then PSG go on to buy players for 200 million, the most ridiculous wages. And with all, all their money and wealth, although there is, uh, I, yeah, I'll go into the reasons why that may actually be. But the fact that they've refused to, to join is, and that's helped, I guess, football in general is, I don't know, definitely a shock to football fans. But saying that, maybe their reasons aren't that genuine because they obviously Qatari owned. And I believe that the owner of their club has the rights, the TV owns the company that has the TV rights to the Champions League and Europa League. So obviously can't take his club elsewhere. And also the World Cup is in Qatar next year. Uh, and FIFA are probably not going to be very happy about one of the richest men in Qatar taking the clubs away to a, to a different competition. So I don't know. Take that as you will. Maybe it was genuine. Maybe it was ulterior motive. Well, I, either way, they kind of did a good thing for, for whatever motive, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. And I, I, I don't know, I really liked especially, uh, you know, the reaction of the uh, Man United fans, you know, obviously like storming the pitch before a, uh, before a Premier League game and really protesting the gla against the Glazers and all of that. That was a really impressive reaction that I didn't think would happen and I'm, I'm I don't know I could I could see them trying it again in, in like let's say five to ten years and then hoping that the protests wouldn't be that as big but I feel like the you know the Premier League especially has a very very uh, close relationship to you know the fans are very motivated very organized it's a very nice way to say it <laughs> <laughs> all about the euphemisms no yeah and no, i would agree i think i know i don't know how aware of this you are but um i know rashad is always picking my brain on this and probably digging more into this than i have but specifically the glazers the the fans and the glazers have never had a, a great relationship the sort of the, the glazers have i mean my, my business knowledge isn't amazing but they have sort of piled their family debt on the club and instead of sort of of using the money that the revenue to to pay off that debt they've sort of been taking more than they've been putting in which i i guess that is business but when when you have fans on the level that man united do it, it's it's hard to to get away with that without consequences such as this happening and okay without the super league it probably goes unnoticed for however long but you try and do something like the Super League and you, you really annoy a lot of people. And like you said, it seems that portion of the fan base that are quite organised and have managed to get themselves more minutes on the pitch than Donny van der Beek has all season. <laughs> Sick burn. <laughs> sorry, Donny, if you're listening, uh, I'm sure you are. <laughs> Don't be sorry. No, I'm not sorry. You need to up your game. Although... You've got to really look. If you're Donny and you're sat on the bench and you're seeing Fred play ahead of you every game, you probably are going to have a, a knock of confidence. <laughs> <laughs> and what is this guy doing that I'm not? <laughs> wow, I know nothing about about you know the current or m most of the current players of Manu, but Fred doesn't seem to be your favorite. Yeah, is he the Fred who uh, used to play for Shakhtar Donetsk? Uh, yes, he is uh, the same, Fred. Yeah, didn't he infamously score a really shitty goal that was like really unfair? Was that that player? Potentially, I, I I can't say I'm aware of that, but yes, potentially. And he, I'm confident that we did sign him from Shakhtar Donetsk. Yeah, because I I just remember that one. I think it was also because you know Shakhtar famously had like all like Ukrainian defenders and Brazilian forwards, uh, <laughs> and uh, what one of the their forwards they there was this thing where you know the referee gave the ball to one of the um, Shakhtar strikers and in one of these situations where it's 
you know, you usually just pass it to the to the goalkeeper of the other team because that just one of these situations occur. And he just went ahead and just scored a goal. <laughs> on on I think it was like either Europa League or Champions League. And yeah, that was very, very much derided back in the day. That that must have been like three or four years ago, maybe. I I can't say I've say I've seen it or can remember it, but that, if anything sounds like Fred, that was Fred. Yeah. <laughs> if you love like slapstick comedy, then just get like a, a camera focused on Fred and he will he will give you joys after joys. He might do one good thing, but he will do five things that will make you question how he is playing football professionally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there definitely are those players where like, how did you get to this level? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm picking on Fred. He's definitely not the only one, but he is the, I don't know, the scapegoat of my my troubles with Man United. Uh, I don't know. Should we go on to the uh, to the, <laughs> the Champions League, maybe? I mean, yeah, the, the Super League could go on for forever. Yeah, for sure. Um, should, yeah, should we move on to the Champions League final? Do we have to? <laughs> It's okay. I'll, I'll cover it. It's uh, it's two English teams playing a football match on a Saturday. End of. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. So, regrettably for Luke, we have uh, Chelsea and Man City in the Champions League final coming up this week. And as yeah, as you said, Chris, it's a very interesting matchup. And I wonder, you know, what your first thoughts are, Luke, when you think of this matchup uh, between two of the top clubs in Europe. I mean. Obviously, from a solely Man United fan point of view, it's it's not what you want to see. But I I know I would be lying if if I denied the fact that as an English fan and and English fans in in England, obviously, an all England final is a is a really good thing. And if if you look at the Champions League in the last sort of ten years, um, I think that this is the third ever all English final. Uh, the first came in 2008, which was Man United-Chelsea, which I must say Man United won. I'll get that in there. Thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wasn't um, that the one where Terry slipped? It is the one where Terry slipped, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and then Anelka missed the final penalty was, oh, yeah. as a 12-year-old boy. Uh, but I think I may have shed an actual tear in the living room watching it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the second ever... Um, all English final was Tottenham Liverpool, which was two seasons ago, and that actually broke a a long streak of from 2013 every final featuring a Spanish side. Which, for, obviously, on the flip side, for Spanish football is a great thing. But to have a, a, an all English final is a great thing. And again, I, I can't deny the fact that Man City probably have been the best team in Europe this season, um, and, and they have warranted their place where they are. Uh, regardless of how easy or hard that their draws have potentially been, and and Chelsea on the other hand, they obviously went through a manager change around December time, and since then I think statistically in the Premier League they've actually been the best team. I'm not sure if that's still the case after uh, a drop in a few more points since then, but definitely a few weeks ago they've been the best team since Tuchel took over, um, and he's actually set to become the the first manager in the history of the Champions League to take two teams to the Champions League final in back-to-back seasons. Um, I think as an English fan, it would have been much nicer to see Lampard take Chelsea to the Champions League final, but obviously he, he lost his job because the performances weren't there on the pitch. So with him, they, they, they probably wouldn't have made it. And something I actually, actually read the other day is that regardless of who wins this final, it will actually equal England as the most successful team in the Champions League with Spain, who uh, Spain have won it 13 times. But obviously that's only Barcelona and Real Madrid and English clubs have won it 12 times, but that's five winners and potentially could become six winners. Yeah, I I would definitely like Chelsea to win just because, you know, Tuchel was sacked from PSG because he wasn't successful enough and then he goes on to win the Champions League. That would be pretty funny to me. Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously rooting for Chelsea because Man City don't have a Champions League yet and I would love for it to remain that way for forever. Um, <laughs> I think, like, tactically, the game is... Uh, we potentially are probably going to 
regret saying this come come Saturday. We we have a very I don't know the, the I don't know how to put it, but the, the ball is going to be moving around a lot, and there's maybe not going to be so much penetration on the goal. The chances will be all well worked, and yeah, I, I think both teams have got to a point in the season where their strengths definitely match one another's. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was just a, a one nil or even a nil nil. But now I've said it, it's probably going to be like four three and one of the best finals ever. But I mean, a nil nil could always be. Like I said, they're, they're both brilliant teams and they're going to showcase a lot of talent and a nil-nil isn't necessarily going to be a boring game. It could be a boring game. But yeah, I think this is Pep's obviously third ever final, his first with Man City. Because yeah, he never actually made the final with Bayern, I don't believe, which could end up being one of his greatest regrets come the end of his career, considering the, the success he has, has, has had and the success he continues to have. His record in finals is... Is next to none. He's lost one final of nineteen, I think, now. So, so yeah, a pretty good percentage in finals. But yeah, he's been criticised in the past for maybe overcomplicating his teams, specifically at Man City and, and Bayern, along that route to trying to get to to Champions League finals. If you just even look at last season, when they got knocked out to Lyon in a game that everyone thought they would win, no problem, um, and it was sort of Pep tinkering with the tactics more than he probably needed to. But then that sort of system he did try in that game is what they've utilised for the most of this season. So I guess will he tinker again for the final or will he play that style that they've been using all season? And I think for me, no matter what Pep achieves, Sir Alex Ferguson will always be the greatest for me. Obviously, I'm biased. I have that bias towards him. But Pep is the next best thing, definitely. And he is still quite young for a manager and it's scary what he could go on to achieve <laughs> right yeah what do you think Rashad about Pep no no just like the final sorry <laughs> no I'm actually very excited to see it especially because uh, I mean uh, Man City and Chelsea have played each other recently as well and I'm excited to see them play again mm. I am you know I'm less I, I I think you know I don't think I could live with myself if I rooted for Man City in this game I don't think I could live period or survive period if i rooted for man city in this game <laughs> but even without that i i think i would prefer chelsea to to win i think it's just i'm a fan of teams that turn it around in the middle of the season and that kind of going through the struggle in early seasons and picking yourself back up and succeeding is part of one of the really good things i love about sports in general as a narrative um and one of the things that you know there are so many people who argue that the only thing that matters is the trophy and nothing else does. And I think, you know, to a certain extent, that's true. Along the road that you accomplish many things and you grow as a team and you become more you know, successful within your own narrative and within your own perspective. And, you know, having Chelsea win this championship after starting off so poorly at the beginning of the season, I think would be a really nice cap to that story. And that's sort of, I wonder if I am right now contradicting myself by saying I want them to win a trophy, but trophies aren't the only thing that matters. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I think that it would be a nice kind of statement to their journey as opposed to Man City sort of just like dominating in a way. There are also a lot of fans who love just dominance in general. But I would argue, I mean, I would say, I think Luke would agree with me that you have to earn dominance by actually winning championships. And if you don't have the trophy case to match your perceived dominance, then you're not a dominant team. Man City hasn't proven that they can do that on a European level yet. Not to say they can't do it, but they haven't done it on a European level. I don't know. I think it's very interesting. I, I think, you know, I, I can't speak too much tactically to how the teams match up or how I think it'll go. Um, all I can speak to as an observer who's somewhat neutral. I'm excited to see two t clubs who are from who are familiar with one another go against each other, and you know there there is value. There's fun to having the Champions League, and you don't see teams for you know decades. You don't have the same matchup, or sometimes you even have even the first matchup ever between teams. Um, but there is a fun the, a side to it where you have two teams who are intimately familiar with each other playing for the the highest of stakes. So I think it'll be full. It's full of narratives and it's really interesting to go into. And I wonder, you know, I think it's one of the more interesting finals that we'll, we, we could we could have seen 
given the draw that that uh, we saw maybe two three weeks ago. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree. <laughs> yeah, it's, the thing is, it's very interesting. So I I always um, liken my preferences uh, towards you know the tendencies that I find myself gravitating towards in American sports as well. And I find, you know, inexplicably, I dr- I am drawn to certain players and teams, and inexplicably, I just like hate certain players. Like I have, uh, for example, Luke knows my hatred of Foden for no reason. I just despise <laughs> him for 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 no good reason. He seems like a nice, uh, he seems like a fine little young lad, but <laughs> well, it's the most British thing. Yeah, I've I was going to say that say. was so British. <laughs> I am apparently acculturating, um, <laughs> but he seems a lo- like a nice kid. Um, <laughs> yeah, but that was I just, very like, US American. Yeah, contrast. thanks. Have I have I uh, have I got my American card back? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I just like you know, there's just certain things that you just don't like about people, or some things that you do like. I don't know. It's a very interesting mm. relationship I have right now to this matchup that's coming up on Saturday, which I will definitely be watching. I. I think, yeah, I, I can see the thing with Foden, but I think in the long run, if you're going to continue to to watch football on the on the level you you have, or, or I don't know, stay in touch with Foden is unfortunately for me as a Man United fan because he will probably stick with Man City because he's from Manchester or the area. He has been at their academy his whole life, and he seems like a very loyal guy to to the football club. And I I think. Hopefully, I, I can eat these words, but he, he potentially is one of the next best things in the game and will probably go on to win at least one Ballon d'Or, I would say. Great for English football, as in internationally. I mean, great for the Premier League as well, because people will want to watch him if he does have that sort of influence. Not great for, for Manchester United. Uh, although we, we have our own young superstars and... Hopefully they can come through and shine as well uh, as they have been. Yeah, on the flip side, I am a huge fan of Mason Greenwood and I am all on the Greenwood train right now. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think about Mason Mount then? Oh, wow. I I love Mason Mount. I've been a big admirer of his for the last couple of seasons and I think he somehow has sort of escaped this conversation of... I know he's like a year, he's like 21, I think now, um, but he's escaped this conversation of Foden, Greenwood, and he's sort of, I would say, one of the most underrated young talents in English football. I, what, what I love to see with Mason Mount is that he justifies his decision to be picked every time. He, under Lampard, Lampard used him heavily, loved him. Uh, people criticised Lampard for that. People criticised Gareth Southgate for the same thing, for playing him over Grealish or over Foden, but he warrants his spot when he puts in the performances. And then I love, I don't know, I, I would just go back to Tuchel's first game and he decided to bench Mason Mount. He's like, I don't need this kid. I, that's how it came across to me. I don't need this kid. This kid is where it's gone wrong for Frank. I'm going to not use him. And fast forward four or five months now and he is pivotal to Tuchel's team and setup. He is... I don't know. He's mature beyond his years. That's one way I can put it. Yeah, I feel like that also speaks for the manager that he is not, you know, blindly like, no, I like I don't need him. But then he changes his mind because he sees like, okay, this guy really wants warrants, you know, being on the pitch. Not like a certain manager that we, we have already named. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but like, I don't know. I feel like Pep was like started out like that, right? He famously uh, sacked a lot of Barca players when he took over. Like he very quickly established that he has no, there is no place in his team for like Deco or Ronaldinho uh, and others. So you know, Guardiola can be like that as well. I think that's fine when you're winning, though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when you just when the results come through and it works, no one will criticize you. Um, I think Sir Alex Ferguson was very similar in that players would have their best season and then the next season he would either sell them or they would be on the bench for most of it and people would, well, they wouldn't even question it because they then continued to be successful and it it worked. And I think the most recent example with Pep is probably uh, Aguero or Raheem Sterling. 
they've sort of come out of the picture. Um, obviously, there's no really rumours of Sterling leaving, but Aguero is pretty much confirmed as a Barcelona player for next season. And the fact that one of the best strikers in the Premier League era has been able to just be sat on the bench when not injured this season, and that's been fine for Pep to do, and they've absolutely dominated the Premier League again. And they're now in a Champions League final. Yeah, no one's going to criticise Pep for it because it's working. It's when it stops working that people start questioning those things like they do with, with Jose. <laughs> Good old Jose. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think yeah, he's a very futile person and he, uh, he just, it's not just, I don't know, it's, <laughs> it becomes personal with him. He starts launching personal attacks and not just footballing attacks. Yeah, and he's definitely in the camp of, you know, only trophies matter. I mean, just look at, you know, champ the Champions League 2010 with Inter Milan. <laughs> the way they played, that was such just so destructive. And yeah. That's like peak Mourinho in a way. Well, yeah, and I know we're, we're digressing again, but yeah, <laughs> I, I am looking forward to seeing Jose at Roma because potentially that is the sort of role he needed. Not a huge club, not with big personalities. Well, yeah, not with like your, your Neymars, your Pogbas, your, these players that are potentially can seem bigger than the team. There's not that sort of attitude of any of the players at Roma, it doesn't seem. So maybe he can emulate the success of 2010 that Inter Milan team or his Porto side by having a group of hard-working players that will play for the badge and not for themselves yeah for sure um yeah it's going to be an interesting final I think the likelihood of Man City winning is pretty high and, th and I think you know Man City is one of these teams that can just dominate a game whereas Chelsea at least this season from what I have heard They are basically, you know, they're really, really good for counterattacks. So I guess that they will maybe just very naturally fall into those different roles. Yeah, I, I think tactically it will be a, a very interesting matchup. It will Chelsea would definitely play with five defenders, well, three center backs, two wing backs, and the, potentially Man City will will match them up with that. Um, although I, I think they will just stick with their four at the back. Which, if that is the the pattern of the game, then yeah, like you say, I think it will be Chelsea sit in and soak up the pressure and then try and counter-attack and get those those goals um, with the, the pace of Timo Werner and, and whoever else they, they decide to play. I think that's another thing with both teams. They definitely have very strong squads, which has given them the ability to, to get through these competitions and all these games in such a jam-packed COVID season. I think it's time for us to actually sit down and talk about our predictions, how both of these finals will, how we think both of these finals will turn out. So the floor is yours. As uh, as they say, guests first. What do you think about the Europa final, Luke? Okay. Okay. Europa final. I am going 3-1 oh, win for Man United. Confidence. Oh, Greenwood hat trick. Hopefully, Bruno three assists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I don't really know much about either teams in their current state, but I'm even going to go further than you look and say Man United is going to win this four one, <laughs> knowing nothing. <laughs> I hope so. I hope you're right. So my prediction is that Manu goes down one nil and then wins two one in Manu fashion. Okay, my my prediction definitely played that. Man United were going 1-0 down. <laughs> <laughs> so we all agree that they will definitely get at least one goal. Yeah, we will concede, I'm sure. All right, so yeah, the Champions League. All right, Luke, what do you think the Champions League is going to be? Okay, well, I know we already spoke about this, and I uh, I said it not too exciting of a scoreline, but I'm going to go out there with my prediction. and I'm going to say 1-1 in 90 minutes, and then... 2-1 uh, to Man City, extra time. All right. Yeah, I, I can't see Chelsea scoring more than one goal. And I kind of have a gut feeling that Man City is going to win this by two goals. So it's either going to be like 2-0 or like 3-1, something like that. If I had to guess, it's probably more a 3-1 sort of thing. Ooh, now it's up to me, right? <sighs> um, this is a tough one. 
I'm gonna go one nil Chelsea. Oof. Yeah, I mean, Ooh. you never know. Yeah, it's like Man City will crumble <laughs> with the pressure. They they've never been at the stage. They don't know how to face it. <laughs> wow, they have been. They have so many players who've been around for so long, though. I can't see. I mean, I guess they crumbled in previous seasons. Yeah. So we never saw it coming then. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's gonna be. Exciting matchup. Yeah, if the FA Cup and the Premier League ties are anything to go by, it's well, the FA Cup one was very boring, but Chelsea won one nil. The the Premier League tie after that was a bit more exciting, but Chelsea won two one. So yeah, maybe Man City are out to get revenge. <laughs> We're all gonna be well, Chris might be the closest, it might be like four <laughs> nil. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Who knows? All right. On that note, thank you so much, Luke. It's really fun having you here. Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to, to listen to myself, I think. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely an experience. If you liked what you heard, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars. If you didn't like the show. <laughs> damn it. If you, didn't <laughs> like, gotcha. <laughs> if you didn't like the show, why are you still listening? Five stars. If you want to get in touch, there are a few ways you can do that. Email. Write us an email to hello at seriallyhooked.com. Website. You can check out our video. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well done. Thank you. Whew. Thank you. You can check out our website and suggest future topics at seriallyhooked.com. Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at seriallyhooked. If you like the show, tell a friend or 10. Rate us on Apple Podcasts. It really makes a difference and helps people discover the show. Thank you. Um, I hope you know I'm keeping that in as is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Should we maybe go to predictions? Yeah, I was going to say. Do you guys have anything more? No, I think it's time. I think it's time now that we come together after everything that we've said and put our money where their mouth is. What? No, never mind. We're not going to pay any money. What am I saying? (laughs) I think...